For those who would like to see our long version, two-hour, four-minute video of this subject, please go to our video called D&D &D Dungeon Master Testimony, Dungeons and Dragons, Wargaming, Violent Video Games, and Wasting Time, as found on our YouTube channel, See Answers TV. The following is a short segment from that original video before we begin our main presentation here. I will begin this analysis by mentioning the fact that I was what is called a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons besides being a player of it for years before that. For the moment, I would like to take our viewers on a historical odyssey of how I actually ended up being a dungeon master. While I was in high school, and actually even before high school, I was involved in something called wargaming. By the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was already writing magazine articles for an international wargaming magazine called the Avalon Hill General. Here you can see the actual article I wrote called, Is Defense Really Necessary?, which covered a defense strategy for the French, Dutch, and Belgian armies. I came up with, in the face of the May 10th, 1940 German invasion of France. The article goes on to illustrate the defensive moves that needed to be made in lieu of the German onslaught. You can see my old address in Houston, Texas at the end of the article. Here's what the cover of the Avalon Hill war game looked like that my article was based on. This particular war game was called France 1940. During my school years, I played many different war games on a regular basis with my friends. Here's one of my favorites called Blitzkrieg. Here's one we played quite often called Borodino, which covers the battle fought by Napoleon against the Russians during 1812. We played the epic World War I naval battle fought in 1916 between the German and British fleets across the entire living room floor of my best friend's house. The December 1944 Battle of the Bulge game between the German and American armies was another popular favorite. This Avalon Hill War game was a simplified version of the June 22, 1941 German invasion of Russia called Stalingrad. However, later, Avalon Hill came out with a highly advanced war game covering the German invasion of Russia called War in the East which turned out to be my all-time favorite war game. The plane map was huge, and it had over 2,000 plane pieces. Here you can see some of my wargaming high school buddies actually playing War in the East on the floor in my room in Houston. Here's an actual view of the map and the masses of unit counters for the War in the East game, representing German and Russian military forces, in an actual game being played. Each move in the game usually took over an hour to be played and the same game could take weeks to complete. Having played numerous war games for years, I actually invented my own war game. Here's a map board I created myself. Here's a closer view of the map. The game was played by numerous players who possessed tank armies they could create by their various industrial capacities. The goal was to conquer everything on the map and destroy the other players. It was very popular. Here's another map I created for yet another wargaming invention. 
I often thought about copywriting these games and marketing them, but I never got around to it. While I was in high school, I was a member of the marching Springwoods Tiger Band. There I am on the back row right on the end with my baritone. My brother Gary is there with his tuba. Many of my band friends played war games with me. Besides all this, there were other war games out there by other manufacturers besides Avalon Hill. Here's one called Diplomacy, produced by Games Research Incorporated out of Boston, Massachusetts, back in the 1970s. Here we see diplomacy players pretending to be diplomats of the various countries represented in the game. As you can see, a meek and mild game, it is not. The winner of the diplomacy game is represented here by our actual science teacher at our high school, holding the world in his hand while shishkebobbing all the other players with a sword. Another popular war game is seen here called Risk, which I played diligently from my middle school years up into college. Here's the Risk war game being played by seven players with two onlookers in one of the study rooms at a university dormitory during 1976. Many of the players seen here would later be participants in my Dungeons and Dragons game. Wasting time and not worrying about God was one of my strong suits while I attended the university here in Austin, Texas. I was a member of the University of Texas chess team. I played in more chess tournaments than I can count throughout high school and on into college. Here's my tournament chess board, chess clock, favorite chess book on chess traps, and other paraphernalia. When you're successful at something, you develop a lot of pride, which of course the Bible frowns on if you're the one exalting yourself. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. Here I am in a self-portrait I produced for a photojournalism class assignment. I even came up with the slogan, as you see here, play with the best, lose with the rest. I was also on the University of Texas bowling team. I'm the second from the left. This picture was taken at a national collegiate bowling tournament being held in Las Vegas, Nevada, with 106 teams competing. Speaking of pride, Bowling was not only a major source of pride in my life, but an incredible time waster. Here I won the Presidential Sports Award in bowling from President Jimmy Carter. I racked up all kinds of awards in this sport, as you can see here. Here's the one I was most proud of, though, as I rolled an 800 series in the Austin City Tournament averaging 268 and made it into the International Bowling Museum and Hall of Fame as a result. And I also got a gold ring for it. The one good thing I will say about bowling though is I did meet my future wife because of this game. My wife Diane was on the University of Texas women's bowling team while I was on the men's team. I really liked the way she bowled. While still students at the University of Texas, we were married at the University of Texas Catholic Student Center directly across the street from the UT Tower, 
which is shown in this picture collage. A few years later, the two of us actually won the City of Austin Mixed Tournament as individual champions for our classes. My wife for the women's division and myself for the men's. Besides all this other activity, while I was attending the University of Texas, I was also in the Longhorn Band. When you have not been supernaturally changed in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, as given to His chosen people by the God of the Bible, you waste your time on vain and useless things that bring no glory to God at all, but simply pander to your own sinful lusts and desires. Although I wasted my time on many deceitful lusts and activities, a prime example is found in the game Dungeons and Dragons. Here you can see an assortment of D&D books. Here's the basic Dungeons and Dragons player manual. 65 pages. The Fiend Folio, 128 pages. The Advanced D&D Monster Manual, 112 pages. The Advanced D&D Player's Handbook, 128 pages. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Player Character Record Sheets, 34 pages. And of course, the Advanced D&D Dungeon Master's Guide, 240 pages. Back in the days when I was a dungeon master, this book was my real Bible. I studied this more in one day and the other D&D &D books than I would look at a Christian Bible in an entire year. Here's the only known photo I have of some of us actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. This shot was staged for the camera, but you can see me there with the hat on and my dungeon master guide while several players are gathered around, one holding the advanced D&D player's handbook. You can barely see on the table some of the small figurines we use to represent some of the player characters participating in my dungeon. This picture was taken December 18, 1980. It is interesting to note that God would interrupt this highly successful dungeon five months later on May 16, 1981, when he supernaturally enlightened me by the power of the Holy Spirit through a born-again experience, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, that would change my life for all eternity. We have uh, some very interesting guests. First of all, Larry Wessel, who's assistant editor from Believer's Guide magazine in, uh, out of Austin, Texas. And he's going to be talking to us about the game Dungeons and Dragons. Or is it, is it Dragons and Dungeons or Dungeons and Dragons, Larry? Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. I, I want to make sure that I got that correct. And then a little bit later in the program, we'll be talking with Thomas Baird and Roy Crumno uh, of, of We Win Toys about toys that are being uh, uh, con made as a Christian alternative. So if you have children that uh, are you going to be buying gifts for children in this Christmas time, you'll want to be listening to the program. And if you have questions during the program, the phone number is 388-KBBW. So write that down. We'll be back with our guest right after this. 24 North Valley Mills Drive in Waco. 
And we are back to you on the air on this very wet Monday. If you happen to be driving outside, be careful. Fog is descending right now. The program today is going to be talking about children and toys and Christmas. And our first guest, Larry Wessel, is the assistant editor of Believer's Guide magazine, a Christian magazine uh, from the Austin, Texas area. Uh, and it's a, it's a news magazine for Christians. But we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Larry, how, how in the world did you get involved in, uh, in this this game? Well, it started way back when I was in high school. Uh, me and the fellows used to play a lot of games. You know, you're growing up as a kid and you play these little board games. And we, we started playing these, these kind of military conflict games uh, called war games. And uh, we just started getting to more sophisticated levels. And I think uh, it came one Christmas. Uh, my best friend got a gift for Christmas, and then the, the name of the toy was Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, he, uh, he was—he finished. He graduated third in his class in high school, and so he was very intelligent to read all these books, even at a younger age. And he, he quickly assimilated all the uh, information books that Dungeons and Dragons comes with. It doesn't have a board or anything. He just has a bunch of books that explain these various rules and things and there's some dice that go with it and uh, he started to explain it all to us and say hey this could be a lot of fun and so we started playing the game uh, year in and year out now not constantly during high school but uh, pretty pretty consistently uh, once every two weeks or uh, once every three weeks something like that uh, and we'd play usually when we did play up to uh, five to ten hours. And then when I got to college, we were playing playing the game on a single evening from ten to fourteen hours. It's uh, a very addicting game. And uh, well, what uh, what we've heard a lot of things about the game. We've heard a lot of people. Uh, Bob Larson has talked about it on his show, how mm -hmm. bad it is, all this kind of stuff, what kind of uh, occultic type uh, symbolism and things it deals with. But I don't think anyone that has not played it really knows anything about it. Can you, it does, you said it doesn't have a board and just has books? That doesn't sound like a very good game. Well, uh, can you, is, I know it's probably very complicated, but can you explain a little bit about uh, how the game itself works? Well, it's, uh, it's a pretty simple idea, actually, but, uh, you know, he puts the meat on the bones, so to say, the, the inventor of this game. Uh, he, uh, it's kind of something out of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or something where you have a imaginary uh, uh, Middle Earth or something with dwarves and gnomes and all these uh, mythical creatures. And uh, the game is based primarily on imagination. And what he uses... In this game, the the inventor of it, Gary Gygax, uh, he uh, comes up with a, a system to play a fantasy role-playing game where you have characters, usually something like a magic user, a cleric, uh, uh, an orc, an elf, uh, a fighter, a paladin, a bard. There's innumerable names for different characters you can be. Uh, thieves is one of the more preferable ones in this particular game and uh... The you want to be a thief? Well, uh, thieves uh, do fairly well in this particular game because after all the game is played to capture treasure to uh... you know to uh, acquire wealth 
and thereby build up your experience points. In this game, you try to raise yourself. You start at a level one character, and then as you play the game weeks in, weeks out, you know, hours on end or whatever, it doesn't really have an ending to it. Uh, you capture so much treasure, you, you kill so many creatures. Uh, this, this game comes with monster manuals, and as you can see, as I'm showing you the book here, uh, uh, a yes, theme. for all of our viewers. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm showing it to, right. to y'all here in the studio. Uh, a fiend folio, it has all these, these ghastly creatures on it, uh, demons and things like this. Uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, game which uh, takes in your, your imagination. Uh, you adventure through this, this kind of mythical land and you encounter these monsters which we we're just talking about. You slay them, you capture treasure, you fight off dragons, you steal from people. Many times there's murder involved. You know, when I got in college, I, I was a dungeon master. Uh, uh, and I was at the highest you can go or something? Or? That's, that means that you're experienced enough and you know the books well enough to where you can actually run one of these games yourself. So, uh, I had all the books, like the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual and the Fiend Folio and the Player's Handbook and uh, the other assorted uh, manuals that explain all the rules and things like that. And so uh, with a thorough knowledge of the rules and how the game's played, I was able to start my own game. It's similar to uh, someone that starts a business, I guess. He, he understands the business and he gets a few people under him and he he starts explaining how the business is run and it goes like that. But the, the Dungeon Master is a role in the game, right? I mean, you're the ones that, that, that sets the Exactly. problems for them to solve or I, right. to I make the game or break it for them uh, I create the dungeons I uh, create worlds for them to be on or, or islands uh, usually it involves uh, getting a simple piece of graph paper drawing out a uh, meticulous little uh, cavern or, or dungeon or something with different rooms and staircases and trap doors and uh, you know towers and everything else and uh, I mark on my dungeon without anyone else being able to see it. Only the dungeon master knows what's in his dungeon. He sets the monsters that go in there. And he know he kind of pretty well controls the whole play of the game. And so I can set, uh, you know, creatures to attack on a certain level of my dungeon if, if they're venturing through my dungeon. It, it sounds like a computer game without the computer. It's uh, it's very complex. I I only wish this were a television show yeah. so I could show the books here. But now let me ask you a question. Um, there's obvious the pictures in the book, which obviously our listeners can't see, um, have uh, little devils and ghouls and goblins and all kinds of real demonic-looking creatures. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, we find these kind of characters in. Uh, in uh, Lewis's Narnia books. Uh, we see them in uh, The Hobbit, which was written by uh, a Christian, J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm -hmm. um, what, is, what is so wrong with this thing? Well, actually, uh, I believe that fantasy role-playing in and of itself is there's nothing wrong with it. We all remember being, uh, you know, playing uh, some chivalrous night when we were kids or something. Cowboys or and Indians. Cowboys so. and Indians, stuff like that. I think there's, you know, if you don't have a good imagination, uh, a lot of people have their creative uh, ability through 
their imagination as okay. they were kids. They become writers or whatever. But I think there's a distinction between something that's a healthy fantasizing, in this case, uh, like we were just discussing, or something in Dungeons and Dragons where you're engaging in stuff uh, like magic and witchcraft and occultism and killing things. Uh, in fact, killing things is the main thing of this game as you're playing through it. You're constantly killing creatures. You're stabbing other players in the back for one night. One night we were playing, I uh, had ten people at my apartment, and uh, I, I was a dungeon master, and I got them all to kill each other off uh, simply by giving them little suggestions uh, on what, you know, that this guy's trying to betray you. There's a lot of deceit mm -hmm. in the game. There's, uh, you know, uh, there's rape in the game. There's sexual implications. There's almost any kind of vile idea you can think of, you can employ it into this game. And there's rules that take in for that. I guess um, what you're, what, correct me if I'm wrong, what you might be implying is the fact that the game may take um, characters that are uh, evil and good, so to speak, uh, but it seems as the predominant factor in the game is that uh, um, uh, it just basically glorifies whatever happens to be stronger at the time. In other words, if evil, if uh, the dungeon master wants to be evil, then then evil is is good, or, or evil is um, the thing to be, or or rules. Uh, there is no. In other words, in the Tolkien or in in uh, in Narnia, um, you have you have a um, uh, a Christ, a Christophany, or a Christ uh, type of figure that always wins. They are the the victor. Uh, he is the victor because Christ is the victor. Um, well, there's a distinction. This uh, you've got those Christian uh, novels that have a Christian worldview, a perspective mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Dungeons and Dragons, though, is completely different from that. It mm -hmm. comes from a an amoral. Uh, non-theistic uh, universe worldview philosophy. Actually, you get you get brownie points, don't you, for being more wicked, essentially. Oh, of course. In fact, uh, when I played the game all through high school and college, before I went on to be a dungeon master, I, I had a I, I rose to a 12th level wizard. Uh, which there's different alignments in the game. You can be chaotic evil, you can be chaotic neutral, you can be lawful good. But I found it was good to be chaotic evil because in that situation you could, you know, you could stab someone in the back if you needed to to gain experience points, to raise yourself higher levels. See, the whole game is based on achieving higher levels and at each level you attain through killing people and attaining treasure and wealth, then you can become a more powerful figure and you have the, a better ability to kill people and gain more wealth. <laughs> so it's a vicious circle. You keep going and going. Larry, let me ask you, do you know anything about the inventor of the game? Not a whole lot. I, I did bring a, a, you know, a couple of quotes from uh, the writer or the, the originator of the game. I, I can tell that he doesn't really have a, a Christian perspective. Uh, in that he doesn't believe in the supernatural as a Christian would, simply because the Bible talks so much about the supernatural. Uh, like I have a quote here from uh, the, the, the uh, originator of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Gary Gygax. He said, 
We certainly aren't trying to play witchcraft. Any resemblance between the spells and magic in these books and what is quote unquote the real, and, I, and again, I don't believe in it. The stuff is purely coincidental because as far as I know, I dreamed up all these things out of my own head. Sure you did. But as you go through the, the manuals, the Dungeons and Dragons manuals, you'll find the spells that the clerics and the magic users use match up perfectly in many times, in many cases, with what's in actual occult books and witchcraft books. And that's one of the things that freaked me out, so to say, when I uh, became a Christian and I started uh, studying uh, some of these other topics, these, like mm -hmm. the occult, and I started realizing, hey, a lot of these spells in the actual witchcraft books are are right in Dungeons and Dragons. At the time I was a dungeon master and all this, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know God or Christ and, uh, you know, just in the world. But uh, when you become to the realization that Christ is indeed real, that God created this world and that there is a devil out there, you know, you, you start uh, taking precautions, you start studying to show yourself approved unto God as the scripture says. And uh, as I was doing this research to defend myself against, the, you know, as you read in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18, I think it is, starting in verse 9, it talks about all those occultic things, and as I studied that, I found that all these things were in Dungeons and Dragons, and I go, hmm. my goodness, you know, and then, of course, my D&D &D game eventually ended up in a trash can, and so... Uh, unfortunately, today, at least for you in the studio, I can't show you all my dungeons I worked on. I spent countless hours of time and research. That's the maybe one of the worst things about this game is it takes so much time to play it. Not only for the dungeon master to set the dungeons, get all, go through all these manuals and books. As you can see, they're pretty thick uh, in mm -hmm. small print. Uh, they it just gobbles your time up and then you can go and sit for 10 to 14 hours straight at just a kitchen table like we did in a small apartment. Uh, you can imagine what this kind of game can do and it becomes addicting in a way. We had one character who, or one, one player that got a character and he played it for months on end and uh, finally one of the other players killed him while he was sleeping. He you know, according to the game as we were playing it in our imaginations, the one character mm -hmm. said, I'm going to slit his throat while he's sleeping, you know. And so uh, I rolled as Dungeon Master. I said, well, you don't want to do that. You know, I didn't want him to kill us at that time. You know, Dungeon Master has a lot of power to try to stop things from happening. He really controls. In fact, I could, uh, I could get rid of any characters I wanted to without the players really knowing I was doing it, you know. But uh, anyway, this character had his throat slit, we rolled the dice and everything, and he died, and this player whose character this was, and he built him up level after level for months on end, you know, you kind of work to build yourself up, capturing treasure and killing monsters and other people and stuff, and it, it had kind of a traumatic effect on this player. I remember seeing him, and he was... He, so he was out of your game then after that? Well, he could come back as another character, you know, but he couldn't have the one he had, and he'd have to start all over again at a level one. You see, now he had to spend more months working him back up to where this first character was, and he got a, uh, a, a kind of a... He did roll some more characters up, I recall, and he tried to immediately inflict damage on the guys who had just killed his character. It was a, re a revenge motive, and he even carried it over into real life, this is, or there might be a real, reality distortion in that he 
held a grudge against the other players who had killed his character in real life. You know, I mean, outside of the game, he he uh, didn't appreciate these people, wouldn't associate him with them anymore. You know. <laughs> You said that you quit playing the game at some point in your life when you became a Christian. What happened to the other people that you played this game with? Uh, well, uh, they... Are they still playing the game? As far as I know, most of them are. Most of them are. I, uh, I try to... When I became a Christian, I started trying to talk to them more about God and the Bible and explain Bible prophecy and everything else, but it's like the Bible says, I think in Peter somewhere, it says that your old friends of the world will will leave you, uh, you know, as, when you don't partake in their ex excesses. And uh, so uh, I think I lost just about every friend I had. And uh, my game, of course, was disbanded when I cared more about, you know, talking about God than, you know, summoning demons like there there are in this game. So. Okay, you're listening to your On the Air. We're talking with Larry Wessel, who's the assistant editor of Believer's Guide magazine. And the topic today is guest... Uh, hosting, filling in for Voice and Judy Lancaster. If you have a comment or a question during this hour, give us a call. The phone number is 388-KBBW. How do you feel about uh, these kinds of toys for your children? Have you purchased them uh, in the past? Well, like, I haven't even talked about the clerics in this game. There's a religious aspect to this game. In fact, even in uh, one, one of the books here, when it, it says that uh, you have to declare a religion, right off the bat, you know, either if you're going to be agnostic, atheist, you don't care, or, or some other religion. And this game involves all kinds of gods, you know. The, in fact, in my game, I made up a whole slate of gods uh, for the clerics to uh, worship. And what they had to do in my particular dungeon when I was playing the game was that they had to pray these prayers to these uh, gods and I had evil gods and good gods and neutral gods and like uh, the players usually pick the evil gods because they had more power you know to destroy things and so they would pray some prayer like oh Kali uh, you know if only you'll hear my prayers and you know he'd say a bunch of bloodthirsty uh, phrases of worship and I mean I made my players literally get on their knees and uh, make this prayer to this God before everybody. And I said, well, that's the only way you're going to get your uh, wish through this uh, particular God that you're, you're, you know, for your game. Because usually you call on a God to zap some zombies that were attacking or some monster or, or some player or something like that. Uh, and so you've got a religious aspect to this game uh, besides all the other dubious uh, ideas that go on in it. Um, okay, so we pretty much established we haven't been able to really get into the game and to really talk about all the garbage, which really maybe we don't need to do. Um, it's it's pretty apparent if uh, anyone has gone into a store and just looked at the book covers uh, that there's a lot of uh, demonic type influences in this thing.
check out our websites, BibleQuery.org. This site answers 7,700 Bible questions. HistoryCart.com. This site reveals early church history and doctrine proving Roman Catholicism is not historically or doctrinally viable. MuslimHope.com. This site is a classic refutation of Islam, a counterfeit religion created by Muhammad. Free newsletters are also available. Hello, this is Larry Wessels with just a quick message to our viewers to check out our main YouTube channel, Sea Answers TV, which stands for Christian Answers Television, where we have all of our over 610 videos posted. By going there, you can see all of our videos organized by playlist, categorized by subjects. Once you scroll down past our Bible prophecy trailer at the top of the channel page, the playlist begins. You'll see our recent uploads playlist, followed by our most popular videos playlist, followed by our playlist on Jehovah's Witnesses, then Islam, the Muslim religion, then Roman Catholicism, Darwin's metaphysical evolution religion, Seventh-day Adventism, dealing with anti-Trinitarians and early church history, our multiple playlists, which includes God-hating atheists, phony TV preachers and King James onlyists, dealing with UFOs, ghosts, spiritual warfare, our radio shows with national Christian authors and our music bids, the Black Muslims, Louis Farrakhan, and the Nation of Islam, Mormonism, Hell, Lake of Fire, Unpopular Bible Doctrines, Antichrist, Cults, New Age, and World Religions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and Spanish videos. End times, supernatural prophecies, and tough Bible questions. And our playlist dealing with predestination, Arminianism, and Calvinism. Our YouTube channel is built to help people learn the Bible and defend their Christian faith against false prophets that come against it from every side. Jude verses 3 and 4. At the time of this recording, our channel has already been blessed with over 6 million viewings and over 10,000 subscribers.